Episode 40, The Five Major Offerings God wasn't looking just for the Israelites to kill a bunch of animals for the sake of killing them. And the Israelites didn't have to do the offerings just to earn God's favor. He wanted to have a relationship with them and he pursued the Israelites. Welcome to the History of the Bible. The beginning of Leviticus starts by introducing the five major offerings. These are the burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, and the guilt offering. All of these offerings would be passed on from God to Moses and speaking as friends would talk to each other. Beginning with the burnt offering, this is not a sacrifice that was just special to the Israelites. Hardly any of the sacrifices were unique to the Israelites. The nearby nations practice most of them. When offering an animal for sacrifices, there are three options that a person had when choosing the type of animal. In descending order, Leviticus chapter 1 explains the process for animals that are from the herds, flocks, or birds of the person offering. Often, the herds are referred to as cows, bulls, and oxen. The flocks are either sheep, goats, or rams, and then birds are, well, birds. Although the results were the same for each type of animal in the burnt offering, the steps to get there were slightly different. For the burnt offerings, the animals needed to be male without blemish, unwanted marks, skin issues, or anything physically wrong with the animal itself. This meant that to make a sacrifice, the Lord required the best of the animals not just a broken-down animal that wasn't good for anything. The Lord wanted the best. In all of these sacrifices, it was the owner that was killing the animal, not the priest. And the priest at this time was only Aaron, and later on it would be his descendants. The animal from the herd was to be taken to the front of the altar and was killed by the owner. Now imagine placing one hand on the head of the animal and the other hand holding the knife that is to be used. Most likely, the animal wouldn't sit there perfectly still the whole time. With the knife in your hand, you take the blade and slice across the throat of the animal, trying to reach its spine to sever the nerves from the brain to the body. When this happens, the animal doesn't die immediately. It begins to fight and kick back against anything and everything as it goes into a mental state of fight or flight. All this is happening as the animal is trying to gasp for breath, but isn't able to get a full breath of air because the blood begins to fill its open throat, going down into its lungs. After a couple of minutes, the animal will finally breathe its last and die. A little graphic, yes, but this is what the people of Israel did. They grew up seeing it happen when they went into the temple with their parents. It reminded the Israelites that this had to happen because of sin so that God and them could be in communion with one another. Animals from the herd, flock, and birds were all to be killed at the tent of the tabernacle. After the animal had died, the blood would be drained and poured out next to the altar. The priest would then take the animal and cut it up to prepare for the sacrifice, removing the unclean parts and burning the rest. The whole animal would be burned for the burnt offering. 
The burnt offering isn't specifically stated what it's meant for, but often it was used for thanksgiving, prayers of petition, and vows. As this is what Noah did after exiting the ark. He offered a burnt offering to the Lord, and that is when God gave the rainbow as a sign. In other ancient cultures, the burnt offering was used to appeal to the gods and goddesses for peace or fellowship, almost like the person was trying to get on the good side of the deity. In Assyria and Babylon, the animals were often sacrificed so that the entrails could be used for divination. These sacrifices often call for the owner of the animal to place their hand on the head as they are killing the animal. Though this small thing may not seem like much, it most likely establishes a relationship between the one offering and the animal itself. In the Hittite culture, they were required to place their hands on the animals that they were sacrificing, and in their society, this gesture was very much like a signature today. When someone signs something today, it shows that it is from that person and they have given their permission. The same thing is thought of when the hand was placed on the head of the animal. It was a gesture that was coming from the offerer. When the burnt offering is made, it says that it shall make an atonement for the offerer. The word make atonement is the Hebrew word for kipper. In the past, it has always been thought that the word kipper was just meant to cover. That thought made it seem that the offering was just meant to cover the sin. But today, scholars are beginning to see the word as purification or decontamination and its process. It's believed that it isn't an end state of being pure or decontaminated, but the process of becoming holy. This type of atonement is only done through the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. Once the animal was killed, the blood would be used for the final part. Blood was seen in ancient times as the life of the animal or person. Other mythologies depict creation coming from the blood of a god or goddess. But the Israelites were called to use the blood as a symbolic way of applying the death of the animal for the purification of the sin of the offerer. For the burnt offering, the blood would be taken and thrown up against the sides of the altar. Once the sin offering is burned up, it says that the offering is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. In other societies, when an offering was a pleasing aroma to their deity, it meant that they had gained the favor of the gods or goddesses. But for the Israelites, because they already had the blessing of God, it simply meant that God was pleased with them as they were able to come into his fellowship. The next type of offering is the grain offering. This offering was usually made up of fine flour, oil, frankincense, and salt. It could be cooked or uncooked, either way worked, but it wasn't allowed to have leaven or yeast in the mixture and honey was not allowed at all on the altar. The reason for no leaven nor honey isn't apparent, but some believe it to be that both cause fermentation, or at least be susceptible to it. Another argument is that the altar was only allowed to have things that were dead put on it, 
whereas yeast and honey could be argued to have living organisms. The last argument is that it was not allowed to be offered because it was used so much in other ancient societies for false deities, especially honey being used to be poured out for deities of the underworld, which could make honey be connected to death. The last argument probably isn't the case because the rest of the offerings and sacrifices were used by other cultures and God had no problem with the Israelites doing the same things. Also, God allows for the yeast and honey to be offered as first fruits, just not as burnt offerings. The grain offering wasn't normally offered by itself. Although it could be by itself, often it went along with another offering. When a grain offering was given, a portion of the grain offering was to be burned, and then the rest was for the priest to eat as their portion throughout the day. The offering would be typically baked in an oven, on a griddle, which is like a flat iron surface that was used over the fire, or a pan. This would make the finished product of the grain offering to be like an offering of bread, which grain was a huge part of their diet. The other requirement of the grain offering was that it had to be seasoned with salt. Though just adding salt to the grain offering did add some flavor, the salt was thought to represent something greater than that. In Leviticus 2 verse 13, it says to not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of the offering, but to add salt to all the grain offerings. And some scholars believe it to be all offerings. In the Bible, salt is a preservation used for their food, often doing the opposite of honey and yeast by preventing the decaying process. So when called to put salt on the offering, it is believed that it symbolized the unbreaking and preservation of the covenant between God and the Israelites. In ancient times, the Greeks and the Babylonians, if two different parties shared salt, they were then unified to fulfill their obligations to one another. If they shared salt, it meant that they were now in a covenant. Often, when an argument was made between two parties, they would come together and share a meal and this meal would be salted as a symbol of preservation and a reminder of their loyalty to the covenant. So when God calls the Israelites to season their offerings with salt, it was as if God and the Israelites came together and shared a meal every time they made a sacrifice. That meal would be a reminder to the Israelites of the covenant that God has with them. The next sacrifice that the Israelites are called to do is the peace offering. This offering too could use an animal from the herd, flock, or a bird. The same thing would be done to this animal as the burnt offering. The offerer is to bring it before the Lord and kill the animal at the entrance of the tabernacle. However, this time the whole animal wouldn't get burned up. After the animal was killed, it would then be cut up so that only the internal organs, kidneys, the liver, and all the fat that surrounded them was removed from the animal and then placed on the bronze altar and burned before the Lord. The blood of the animal too was thrown against the side of the altar. The Lord would then instruct the Israelites that they were not allowed to eat an animal's fat or blood for all generations. 
When the fat and the internal organs were burned up, it would be pleasing to the Lord because of the fellowship with them. The peace offerings, sometimes referred to as the fellowship offerings, were an offering that was meant for the offerer and God to have a meal together. As the offerer would take a portion of the animal and eat it with their families and fellowship with God. Unlike other surrounding cultures, the offering of a meal was not for God himself, but for the Israelites to remember the reason why they offered the peace offering. Unlike other surrounding nations, the offering of a meal was not for God himself, but for the Israelites to remember the reason that they offered the peace offering was to have a meal with God. The surrounding nations offered meals to their deities because they believed that they needed to help feed the gods and goddesses in exchange for protection and provision. This is what the surrounding nations believed that they were created to do, provide meals, housing, and drinks to their deities. The next offering is the sin offering. Its purpose was meant for the atonement of the person making the offering. The animals that could be used for this offering were cattle, sheep, goats, and birds. But instead of the offerer being able to choose what animal they were wanting to give, God gives a specific animal based on the person. For example, a young bull was to be offered by the high priest and congregation members. A male goat was to be offered by a leader. A female goat was for a common person. A dove or a pigeon was for the poor. And if a person was extremely poor, they could offer a tenth of an ephah of fine flour or about two liters. Just like the other sacrifices, the offerer would place their hand on the head of the animal, showing that it was their sacrifice, and then they would kill the animal. But instead of the priest taking the blood of the animal and just pouring it out next to the altar, it would be sprinkled seven times in the direction of the veil that divided the Holy of Holies areas from the rest of the tabernacle. Then he would take some of the blood and smear it on the horns of the altar. After that, the blood was to be poured out like the rest of the offerings next to the altar. The blood represented the washing of one sin away and became purified through the shedding of the blood. For example, in Phrygia, to purify something by the washing of the blood, they would place the person into a pit and then put a wooden platform over the pit with holes in it. An animal was then killed on top of the platform, and as the blood flowed through the holes, it would cover the person in the pit, making them pure once again. After the priest had burned the offering and the rest of the animal, the skin, its flesh, the head, legs, entrails, and yes, the dung were all to be taken outside of the camp and placed on a pile of ashes and burned. Most likely, this place would be where the priest took the ashes from all the sacrifices that they would do within the tabernacle. The last of the five major offerings is the guilt offering. A ram was only accepted for this offering or something equivalent. This offering and the sin offering can sometimes get a little confusing. Although they seem to both deal with sin, the guilt offering is usually because a breach of trust has happened, either between a man and God or a man and his neighbor. 
most often to repair broken relationships. Almost like a contract between two parties were broken, and this was used to mend the relationship. The guilt offering would also be used when a person sinned but did not realize that they did so until later on. And just like the blood in the other offerings, it would be poured out too next to the altar. So these are the five major offerings that the Lord called the Israelites to do. And although they do have parallels in other nearby societies, they are used for many different purposes than them. The nearby culture used sacrifices to gain the favor of the deity, whereas the Israelites already had the favor of God. Ultimately, it was about them having a relationship with God. Because to God, a relationship is more important to Him than sacrifices. Often, it is thought that the Israelites had to follow all these rules to gain favor with God, and once they had gained favor, then they could be his people. But the opposite is true. Before the Israelites did anything, God called them to be his people, just like he called Abraham to follow him and to have fellowship with them. And because God wanted to have fellowship with them, it gave them their identity as God's people. This is why God is calling them to follow all the instructions that he gives them, not to gain favor, but because they already have favor and God is calling them into a deeper fellowship with him. Next time, we will begin to look at the responsibility of the priest within society. And just a heads up, it's a little bit more than just burning the animals and pouring blood out on the floor. So join us next time in episode 41, The Death of the Priests. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.